One of the areas that we often need to have reset in life is our attitude about work. This message is the ninth in the series, I Will Reset. The message is entitled, Resetting Your Work. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Good, grab your Bibles, if you will, and your teaching sheets as we are continuing in our series together called I Will Reset. As we're getting uh, into the message tonight, just a few things I do want to draw to your attention. Uh, first of all, if you've never been baptized since uh, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, this weekend is baptism weekend, and so after every service at all of our campuses, baptism is happening, and so you can easily go down after service tonight and be baptized in water as a declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you did say, well, I didn't come prepared, and we have actually have a change of clothes for you ready for that. So again, after the service, right down on the first floor of this building in the Commons Cafe, baptisms will be happening. Also, if you're interested in, uh, in some of our internship programs here at the church, just be aware that we have a great internship program for, uh, for college, for, excuse me, high school age kids. Uh, ninth through 12th grade is called Surge, and that's uh, kicking off very soon here. If you'd like more information about that for yourself, if you're in that category, ninth to 12th grade, or a parent of uh, someone in that category, stop by the tent on the way out. They'll have information for you. Also, Redeemer College information there, as well as our one-year staff internships. We'd love to encourage you to be aware of all those things, that whether they apply to you or a family member or someone that you know in the church that might benefit from them. Again, that tent is out in the front on the way out, so we encourage you to stop by and get information about that. I want to talk to you this weekend about resetting your work, the importance of learning how to reset life. We're looking at this entire series entitled Made for More and how Jesus very clearly, when he called you into his kingdom, called you to a purposeful life. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief, that's the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus wants you to have a more life. Jesus made you for more, not just to exist or survive throughout life, but to have an abundant life. And we've been talking about some of the decisions that we have to make along life's journey for us to experience that more life in Christ. It doesn't just happen by us wanting it. It's not just happening because Jesus promised it. It happens because we actually cooperate with Jesus in the process. And uh, some of the decisions we've talked about along the way as we've looked at it, the decisions of making sure that we grow stronger, learning how to not settle for less, learning how to go deeper, learning how to conquer. These are things we've talked about. And in this particular part of the series, we're talking about learning how to reset your life. Because as you go through life, one of the realities of life is that there are times that we just simply drift away from center, that we ought to be focused on one thing and our relationship with God, our relationships with people around us, but we tend to drift. How many of you would just agree that sometimes you just drift? You don't know why, but you sort of drift away. As the old song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And how true it is, we are prone to wander away from God. And while wandering is not a good thing, what's worse than wandering is to not realize you're wandering and not to reset. And so resetting is a vital part of your life. And so you have to learn how to reset your relationship with God, how to get back on target with Him, how to reset your emotions, how to reset your relationships, how to reset your energy. We've talked about that. How to now talk, we're talking about how to reset the work patterns of your life because this is vital to your life. 
Now, the Bible is extremely clear about the value, the importance of our work. I want to start by reading for you a passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. In fact, I'm going to invite all of us to read this together aloud and loudly in unison. So again, Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. Let's listen to the instructions that God gave us about this topic of work. Read together with me. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Here we're told that we are to, whatever we do, we're to work at it. How? With all our heart, working for the Lord, not for human masters, because this is what puts us in a position to receive the rewards that God promises to us. And so I'm going to talk to you tonight about three things that you need to know about your work and how to reset yourself when it comes to your work relationships and your work responsibilities. And the first three, first of these three things is to understand that work is a key part of your life. Work is a key part of your life. I want you to think with me for a moment about the percentage of your, of your life that you spend working is quite a significant percentage of your life. And what happens for a lot of people is that a lot of people tend to actually endure their work instead of enjoy their work. And the reason, because even we as Christians sometimes endure our work rather than enjoy our work, is because often we do not understand work from God's perspective. And so what I want to do for the next few moments is to help you to see what the Bible teaches us about work from God's perspective. Six things that you need to know about work from the perspective of the Bible and from God's perspective. First of all, the Bible teaches us that work is not a curse, it's a blessing. It is a gift from God. A lot of people think that work is something that can into the world after man sinned and after the fall of man that God said, okay, I'm going to punish you for the rest of your life. You're going to have to work. No. Actually, work precedes the fall of man because as soon as God put Adam and Eve in the garden before they even ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know what God did? God gave them a job. God said, I want you to take care of this garden. I want you to make sure that you grow it and tend it and make sure that it's fruitful and that it multiplies. That's your job. And so work isn't a curse. Work is a blessing. It is a gift from God. Notice Genesis 2.15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to do what? To work it, and to take care of it. So work is not a curse. It's a blessing. Number two, the second thing you must understand about work is that work is what God does. Genesis 2, verses 1 and 2, we begin to see the perspective of God, who He is. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array, but the seventh day God had fin- by the seventh day God had finished the work He had been doing, so on the seventh day He rested from all His work. So what, what had God been doing for six days? He had been working exactly on the seventh day he rested. So the pattern there is that God is a worker. John 5 verse 17, uh, Jesus said this in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. So you see that God is at work. Jesus was at work. Thirdly, Jesus taught the importance of work in his teachings and by his example. Mark chapter 6 verse 3. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. Speaking of Jesus, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. So when people were talking about Jesus, they made the comment they knew something about him by reason of his work. This is 
before he entered into full-time ministry at the age of 30, he was known as Joseph's son who was a carpenter by trade. So he had given himself and earned a reputation by reason of his work, a good reputation by reason of his work. Matthew 25, 21, the teachings of Jesus. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more. What's that word? Responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So Jesus is celebrating people who do their work well. Do you know that Paul and the apostles were hard workers? They were very hard workers. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked, how? Night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Paul writes and says to the Thessalonian believers, remember us when we were there with you? Did you do you remember the example that we set for you? We actually worked night and day because we did not want to burden anyone, and we did this so that we could preach the gospel to you. In fact, we worked side jobs so that we could make sure that we could preach the gospel to you for no charge at all. The fifth thing that you see about work from God's perspective is the New Testament instructs us to work worshipfully and conscientiously. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, servants respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work how? Heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do and work with a, oh my goodness, you know that was in the Bible, okay? Work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really doing what? Serving God. Did you know the Bible had all this to say about work? Isn't it amazing? The next thing I want to mention to you about work from, scriptural, from a scriptural perspective is that the Hebrew word for worship and work is the very same word. Very interesting when you begin to realize this. So the worship and work, very same word in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word is avodah. That's the Hebrew word avodah. And the word means work, worship, and service. It's exactly, if you look it up in any lexicon, you'll see that the vodah work means work, worship, and service. Very same word. This shows that from God's perspective, that these three things need to be seamlessly woven together in the life of a believer. You can't separate your work from your worship, your worship from your work, and your worship from your service. Work, worship, service, all of it go together because you can't be a worshiper of God without all three of those things being properly in place in your life. The second thing I want to share with you this weekend related to work is that work provides great benefits and opportunities to us. That's why God gives it to us. It provides us great benefits and many opportunities. I've discovered and continue to discover in my life that one of the things that can motivate you to do things the right way is by realizing the benefits that doing it the right way brings to you. That You understand the benefit, you kind of want to do it. You understand the opportunities. You kind of want to engage with things based upon benefit and opportunities. So let's take a look at some of the reasons why God calls us to work, why it's such a priority to Him. First of all, it's a pathway for your provision. How many like to eat? Amen. Okay. You like to eat, right? Okay. If you like to eat, work's a good thing because work is what provides you provision. I mean, you like to have a roof over your head. You like to have clothes on your back. See, many times we think of these things of provision being miraculous and indeed they are, but part of the way that God miraculously provides for you is by providing you the work opportunities so that the provision can come. It's one of the amazing things to me about the children of Israel when they entered into the promised land. 
For 40 years, they've been wandering around in the wilderness, and for 40 years, God had fed them every day, right? Every morning, they would wake out, wake up and go out and find on the ground something called manna, and they would gather the manna, and they would eat it. God fed them supernaturally, but the Bible says that when they went into the promised land, the manna stopped, and God said, now I've given you a land. I want you to work it. I want you to put your hands to the task of bringing about your own provision, and so work is a pathway toward provision in your life. You can't just sit sit back and pray in provision. There are times that provision must be prayed in, but that's not the only thing we do. We work our way toward provision. Second of all, it's an opportunity for character development. One of the reasons that God gives you a job is because God wants to use the job to work on you. Or you're working on the job, God's also working on you. God uses your work environment to And your work experience is to shape you and to mold you and transform you. This is why it's important to realize that whatever whatever job you have and wherever you are right now in your your work profession or history or, or responsibilities, that it's not just about the product you're producing or the work that you're doing. It's also about the work that God's doing in you right where you are. Amen? Because God's, you know, God's put you in that situation because there's some stuff in you that needs to be worked on that can only be worked on in that particular environment, that particular situation. And many times what happens to people is they, are, they run from place to place and job to job and experience to experience trying to actually get out of the heat of the things that God is trying to work on in their life. And so when you begin to say, okay, what am I needing to learn in the environment that I'm in? What is God trying to do in my character based upon the work situation that I find myself in right now? It throws an entirely different perspective on the experience that you're having. The third thing that you must understand about work, here's the benefit, the opportunity. It's a practical way to fulfill God's purpose for your life. God has a purpose for every person. And part of the reason that he gifted you and gave you capacity in life is that he wants you to fulfill that purpose. And part of your purpose, not all of it, but part of your purpose is fulfilled in your work and in your labor. It's also a key part of your ministry. A lot of folks think of ministry as being something that only a pastor does. Okay, well, the pastor is in the ministry. No, it's not true. Every believer is called to be in the ministry. Amen? Because ministry simply means service. That's all the word means. It doesn't mean a professional title. It doesn't mean that you put reverend in front of your name. It doesn't mean that you put any other title in front of your name. What a minister is, is someone that goes about serving in the name of Christ, serving other people, serving the purpose of God. And so whatever your job is, you are called into not just that job, but you're called into the understanding that my job is also part of my ministry. Say it with me. My job is part of my ministry say it together my job is part of my ministry and when you begin to view it from that perspective it changes everything as well and then it provides you meaning see it gives you a sense of accomplishment with your life you're doing something that matters you're producing something you're contributing something you're adding value to something that God is doing in the world and something you're able to contribute to and finally it's an appointment to a personal mission field I want to talk about this one just for a moment Your job, while it's a ministry, yes, it's a ministry to people, it's also an appointment, an appointment to a mission field. Because the people that you work with, many of them, perhaps most of them by and large, have no relationship with Jesus Christ. 
There are a few folks that will work in a Christian environment or have many Christians around them, but the majority of people, when you're in the work world, you're surrounded by people who don't have the same values that you have, that don't hold to the faith in Jesus Christ, perhaps, that you hold to. And so why do you think God takes Christians and puts them out there in places like that? Because God needs light in the midst of darkness, amen? God needs people like you that have received a mission calling not to some other country and some other place and some other part of the world. There's nothing wrong with that. And certainly there are people that are at times that are called to that. But I want you to see and know that from the Bible that wherever God has placed you in that agency, in that institution, in that hospital, in that office, in that particular job environment that you're in, God placed you there as an appointment to a personal mission field that he wants to use you to share the love of Jesus Christ with those that do not know him. How will you do that? First and foremost, by your witness, by your testimony of your life, by the way that you live, and then by taking uh, advantage of the opportunities that God will bring your way to share your faith with others. But it's primarily lived out, and as you live it out, comes the opportunity then to share it with other people around you. But your job is a wonderful mission field. You are a missionary sent by God to wherever you are employed. You're God's missionary there, and that's part of your ministry. And it's valuable to understand that because until we do, we will not take that responsibility seriously and see the advancing of God's kingdom through us in the way that he so desires to do it. The third thing I want to talk about this weekend for us is that worshiping through your work is, both, is, is about both your attitudes and your actions. So we've talked about the fact God has a perspective of work. We looked at that. We talked about the fact that work's beneficial to you. There's some benefits and opportunities that come your way. Here's where I want to spend my, the bulk of my time this weekend. This whole idea that, that your work is both about your attitudes and your actions. The goal of every Christian should be this, to use your work to become an expression of your worship. Okay, you got it? So that your work becomes an expression of your worship. Say it with me. My work is my worship. Say it with me. My work is my worship. Now this changes everything when you change this thinking. When you begin to realize my work, I don't just come to church and worship. When I go to work on Monday, how I do my job, how I respond to my boss, how I deal with my coworkers around me, that's just as much a part of my worship as what I do on the weekend when I come to church. Are you with me here? Yes. See, that changes everything. Because we have the tendency, well, I'm going to worship, and we go and we worship. We clap our hands and sing and receive a message. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. It's what we ought to be doing. But what this does is it equips us to go back to work on Monday morning or whenever we go back to work so we go into that environment and we realize this is now also a part of my worship. My work and my worship are not separate. My, this is the same word in the Hebrew language. They work together. If I don't do my work the way I need to do my work, I'm actually falling down in my worship. Are you with me here? Transformational stuff. So I want to give you some words that will help you understand how God expects us to tie in our work and our worship and how there is no dichotomy between those two. These two must be progressively welded together and become one in our lives, work and worship. So here are 12 words that we'll look at for the next few moments together. Number one, to worship through your work 
You need to work honorably. Say that word with me, honorably. To be honorable is to be deserving of honor, okay? And when you work honorably, it means you work in such a way that in your environment, you are deserving of honor by the way that you actually conduct yourself in that environment. Because you are a representative of God in that environment. You're a representative of His nature, His character, who He is. And so you want to be honorable. Honorable, yes, to God, but honorable to the people that work around you. And so when God says, I want you to understand that your work and your worship are one, and so to be able to turn your work into proper worship, you must be honorable in the way that you conduct yourself in your, your business affairs. Second of all, you need to work enthusiastically. The word enthusiasm really relates to passion and energy and engagement. Okay? You might want to write those words down, passion, energy, and engagement. In the business world, we talk about employees who have high level of ownership in what they do. Ownership is really the whole idea of they take seriously their job and they own their job and their responsibilities. And they're not always looking to push it on someone else or to sort of take hands off, but they have this engagement. They have this, this passion about what they do. And so... When we turn our work into our worship, we do it with a sense of enthusiasm. We show strong engagement and strong excitement about the responsibilities that have been given to us. And so whatever you have been assigned in life, you may not think this is your, the greatest job in the world, but let me tell you something. If you want to get, if you want promotion, do the best you can with what you got. Amen? You with me here? Very important. If you don't do the best you can with what you got, you're not going to go anywhere. Okay? Just the way life works. Okay? way God works. You take what's been given to you, do the best with it. So it's like the story of the parable, the parable of the talents. The guy that was given five talents, what did he do? He worked and had five more. The guy that was given two talents, he worked and produced two more. The guy that was given one, what did he do? He hid his talent in the earth, nothing came of it. Which of the two received an, uh, uh, a, a, a blessing from God? The first two that took what was they were given and they multiplied. They had five, now I have ten. Had two, now I have four. And so again, the whole idea, they put enthusiasm in So whatever you've been given to do, put your engagement in it. Put your whole engagement into your work. Thirdly, work conscientiously. Make sure that there's a sense of conscientiousness. That's very careful about doing what you're supposed to be doing and concerned with doing it the right way. You can't just haphazardly uh, go about your job if you expect God to honor what you're doing in your, in, in your work for it to turn into worship. You have to be conscientious about what you do, that you're careful, that you're concerned, that you're trying to do the best job as, as you possibly can. And then the fourth word I'll give you here. These are 12 words. These are all important words because how many of you want to reset your work, amen? So that your work is where it needs to be. And this is stuff you have to come back to time and time again. I have to come back to this stuff and remind myself if I'm going to be a worshiper, then my work is part of my worship, amen? What I do Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, whatever my job might be, that's part of my worship. Not just what I do on Sunday, but this is part of my worship. If I don't get this right, I'm not getting my worship right, okay? And the fourth one is the word developmentally. That means that you're growing. I'll give you a word, a moment to write this down. Developmentally. The Bible teaches us the value and the importance of growth. The, the importance of growth. There's, there's a development in you. That you don't stay the same person. That you're growing. You know, some person, one individual can have 
10 years of experience in a job, another person can have one year of experience 10 times. You know the difference, right? Think about that for a moment. One person has 10 years of experience, another person has one year of experience 10 times. What does that mean? They keep repeating the same mistakes all the 10 years because they haven't learned anything past the first year. And so development in life means that we're actually growing. I love the story of David because David in the Old Testament was a, was a young man who got it when it came to work. Joseph is another example, but let's, let's look at David for a moment. David was kind of thrown out into the wilderness to take care of his dad's sheep. And basically, David got the jobs that none of the other brothers wanted. We know that because when Samuel comes to anoint the next king of Israel and asks to see all of Jesse's sons, they don't even invite David to the party. David's not even invited. Where's David? He's out taking care of the sheep. Why? Because that was a job nobody else wanted to do. You're out in the lonely desert taking care of dirty, stinky sheep, and that was the job that David got. But David did his job so well. He used his time so productively. In fact, many of the psalms that we have are psalms that came out of the time that David was sitting around in the wilderness and he's just watching the sheep. But in that time, he's meditating and reflecting upon God. He's writing psalms. He's being reflective on who God is. And so many of the psalms you have come from the times that David spent in relationship with God on the hillsides of Judea, of Judea taking care of sheep. But also, he found himself growing because it was a time that a bear came to a attack the, the sheep. And what did David do? David killed the bear. There was another time that a lion came and David killed the lion. And because he was growing in his responsibilities, when it came time for Goliath, what happened? He was able to conquer Goliath because he'd handle the growth opportunities that came before him. You know, many of us, we say, I don't want to deal with that. It's just little stuff. And God says, it's the little stuff that will prepare you for the big stuff. Because if you can't do the little stuff, folks, you'll never do the big stuff. Are you with me? If you don't, don't fool yourself. If you can't get the little stuff right, if you can't do what your boss tells you to do right here, don't expect to get bigger stuff, okay? You can't kill the lion and the bear, don't expect to kill any Goliaths, okay? So David got it well. But here, even when the story happened of David being in the situation for a Goliath, he didn't even go there by his own initiative. He was sent there by his father. His father sent him to the battlefield. Do you remember what he was sent to do on the battlefield? Anybody remember? He he was sent to deliver bread and cheese to his brothers. He was sent to deliver pizza. Okay? Doesn't sound very glorious, does it? Are you with me? But he shows up on the scene. He was ready. He was prepared. Why? Because developmentally he had learned. He had grown. And so the same is true for you. What are you learning in the environment where you are right now? How are you developing in your life? What skills are you developing? What are you learning about yourself? Where are you growing? What lions are you conquering? What bears are you killing that will prepare you for the next dimension of life? If you don't do this, it's not going to just happen to you. Number five, the fifth thing is you have to work excellently. Excellently. Be excellent at what you do. I love the story of Daniel in the Old Testament. Let me read for you Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. I believe it's going to be on the screen for you. It says this. Then this Daniel, this is the Old Testament Daniel who served the kings of uh, Babylon and Persia. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent what spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. During this particular time in history, I don't have time to really go into all the details, but the Persian king 
basically ruled his kingdom through satraps, through basically governors. And so all these different governors would rule in different areas, and so they would report back to the king. And there came this time that the Persian king wanted to put someone in charge of the whole deal, okay? And he said, who can I put in charge of this whole deal, all these 120 satraps that are governing all these different extended kingdoms? Who can really do the job for me that I need them to do? Without any delay, who did he think about? Daniel. You know why? Because what did Daniel have? What does the Bible say he had? He had what? An excellent spirit. He had an excellent spirit. And because of his excellent spirit, it caused the cream to rise to the surface. And the king knew this is the kind of guy that I want. Because he takes his job seriously. He does it with excellence. Number six, work reverently. When was the last time you really thought about your work as your worship? When was the last time you brought God into your work and thought about the fact, you know, God is in this with me. This is not just some place I go on Monday morning, but this job is a place that I go because God has opened the door for me to be here, and I worship God as a part of my work, whatever it is that I do. And so it's that reverence that we bring to our job. And make your job a holy place, amen? Build an altar on your job. I'm not talking about physically, but pray in that. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. It's actually the next word. Go ahead and write it down. Prayerfully. Work prayerfully, because this reverently and prayerfully go together. Jesus said, apart from me, it's John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Does that mean just like spiritual stuff? No. You know that apart from him... We can do nothing even when it comes to even our jobs. Oh, you say, well, pastor, I've got all these skills and abilities. I've gone to school and studied this. Let me tell you, that might be true, but you can do it a whole lot better with God than you can do it with yourself. When you add God into the equation and you invite Him in, then suddenly it goes to an entirely different level. And so when your work is done reverently and prayerfully and you're praying over your work, you're inviting God to be a part, you're building an altar at work and you're setting that as a part of something that is holy unto God. This is my work as a part of my worship. Listen to Psalm 90, verse 17. It's a prayer that Moses prayed. Why don't we read this together loud and loudly? Here we go. May the favor of the Lord our God rests on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I would encourage you to start praying that over your work. Lord, establish the work of my hands. I'm going to give my hands to this work, my heart and life to this work. Now you establish it. Cause it to grow. Cause it to multiply. Cause it to be firm. Do something with it, God. Establish it. It's a good place for an amen right there, okay? Number eight, work expectantly. Expect God to work in and through your work. Expect God to work in and through your work. Remember when David went, as we talked about a moment ago, when David was on the battlefield and, and, and he sees Goliath, and Goliath is intimidating the armies of Israel. By the way, you can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If, you have, if you're not familiar with the story, it's a great story to read, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And the Bible says that when David realized that Goliath, this giant, was intimidating the armies of Israel, he, he stepped up and said, I'll go fight him. And he said, who is this 
uncircumcised, this heathen Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God. No, he runs into battle against Goliath, and he tells Goliath this. He says, you come against me with sword and spear, but I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. So, see, what happened there was that David said, I'm going to knock you down, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to cut your head off. This is scrawny little David. Big old Goliath, okay? But there was something of expectation in David that said, you might look big and you might look mean, but by God's grace, we're going to tackle you and kill you, okay? And sometimes your job can look big, and sometimes your job, job can look really mean and overwhelming and intimidating, but you know that with God, you can conquer it? Sometimes the assignments you're given may seem far above and beyond what you're capable of doing, but with God, you can conquer it, okay? And so it's approaching it with a sense of expectation that I'm not just doing this work by myself, that God is in this with me, and yet it may seem like a giant, but God is making me into a giant slayer, okay? So an awareness of expectation. Number nine, work proactively. What does it mean to be proactive? A proactive employee is someone that generally does not need to be asked to act, okay? Let me say it again. A proactive employee is someone that you don't have to be asked to act. In other words, they're, they, they are engaged in the journey. They're doing the work. They're thinking ahead. They're moving forward. They're helping accomplish the goal of the victory without having to be given detailed instructions every step along the way, okay? They get it. They understand. They're moving forward. They're moving the ball down the field. Proactivity is an important part of our work, turning it into our worship. Number 10, I've got three, four more to cover. Can you handle those? All right? Three more to cover, actually. Work peacefully. Oh, my goodness. We talked about this one, couldn't we? Have you ever been in an office environment that was just ridden with politics and strife and gossip and everybody's talking about everybody else behind their back and you know you've never been in a place like that have you okay right and you're in this environment just everybody's just just like a bunch of snakes okay a bunch of rats like all around just and the temptation's going to be what's the temptation to get pulled right into that okay and to become a part of that and when you do, what you're doing is that spirit gets in you, okay? Right? And that kind of a spirit is contrary to the spirit of God, okay? And so what you must make a decision, if you're going to turn, we're talking about turning your work into your worship, right? Make, those are two things. One thing. The Bible says same thing. Word, work, work, worship, service, all same, same word. Hebrew word for, for, for all, all those are the same. And so if we're going to do this, we've got, to, we've got to approach our work from a peaceful standpoint. That is, we're bringing peace and blessing to our environment. You know that when you walk in, you don't have to walk in and become a part of the confusion. You can walk in and bring peace, okay? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called the children of God. Amen? So you can step into an environment and say, you know, I'm going to just put this Teflon coating around me in Jesus' name. This stuff is not going to stick to me, but I'm going to be one that brings peace to the environment. And so you don't engage with the stuff, you change the stuff into blessing. Amen? 
Number 11, work wisely. Wisdom means that you figure stuff out. Find out the priorities of your boss and figure that out. That's a good thing to know, right? That's wisdom, okay? Find out the, the, the priorities of your, of your work environment. What are, what are the most important things that I need to be focusing on right now? What are the things that I need to give my attention to? So it's called wisdom. Just don't go in with your own agenda. Figure out what the agenda needs to be based upon what you learn. And so you begin that, to realize that activity alone does not produce advancement. It's the right activity that produces advancement, okay? And so you gain wisdom. And you begin to say, well, this is how I'm going to, I'm going to approach my job with not just come showing up and doing something. I'm going to approach my job with some dimension of thought related to it. And the last one I'll give you here is to work gratefully. To be grateful means that you appreciate the opportunities that have been given to you and the benefits that you receive from it. How many of you thankful to get a paycheck when you get one, right? Okay. Oh, come on. Are you thankful for that? If you're not, just give it to me, okay? <laughs> but you're thankful for that paycheck. Why? Because that paycheck provides for you, correct? But beyond that paycheck providing for you, actually that paycheck is God doing what? Providing for you. And so when you see the paycheck, you don't just see the paycheck and run to the bank to get a deposit or directive, whatever you do with that. But you see beyond that to who? To God, okay? That God gave you the strength and the capacity to do what you do. And so there's an appreciation that flows to God for the blessing He's given to you in your life. Your job is a blessing. It is not a curse. I haven't convinced some of you yet, okay? I want to say it again. Your job is a blessing. It is not a curse. I'm going to say it one more time, okay? Your job is a blessing. It is not a curse. It is a blessing. Appreciate it. Why? Because it's one of the ways that God does all these things we've talked about. Provision, character development. And when you begin to be appreciative for what you... I thank God for what I get to do. How about you? Amen? I'm grateful for the opportunities that God has given. Why? Because this is a way that God provides and brings blessing to life. Now, why have I taught this lesson as a part of the Reset series? Because one of the ways, one of the things that devil wants to destroy in your life is your worship. Are you hearing me? Are you listening to me? Listen to me right now, okay? If you haven't listened to anything else I've said, look at me and listen to me right now. What the devil wants to do in your life is to keep you from being a worshiper. That's the very thing that started his rebellion in heaven. Go back, we can go back and study that whole thing. That Lucifer was cast out of heaven because he wanted the praise and glory that belonged to God. Okay? And so from that time forward, what he's always wanted to do is to steal the praise and glory from God. And to cause people to stop being worshipers. And one of, the, one of the ways that the enemy will go about stealing your worship is to sour you in your work. Okay. If he can sour you in your work, he can sour you in your worship. Because when it comes to God, your work and your worship and your service are not different things. They're all what? One thing. That's why you need to continually reset yourself in your work because it's part of your 
worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We're grateful for you speaking to us. We ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you'd help us to reset our mindset when it comes to our work. Help us to realize that our work and our worship are not separate. They're one. And I pray that where we've drifted, that you'd help us tonight to have that reset moment, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would just touch that reset button in our life tonight. And God, I pray that we would get back on track in this area so that our worship can be as meaningful as you've designed it to be for our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.